You are listening to season two of the Not Neurotypical podcast. I'm your host, Laura Stan, and season two is all about my continued late diagnosis journey, finding my voice, and figuring out what the heck to do now. So strap on your safety belts, hold on tight, because it's still going to be a bumpy ride. It is New Year's Day 2020. I cannot believe how fast that 2019 has come and gone and 2020 is here and roaring and ready to go whether we like it or not. And I invited a dear friend on my podcast and Carrie is actually someone who started off as a listener of the podcast. Not sure exactly how she found it, but she had reached out to me on Instagram and shared bits and pieces of her story and we became friends and I feel like her story is really, really important to share with listeners because as you know, my evaluation process was pretty easy and I know and I always knew that that is not the case for most people and I really wanted to highlight a very, very different version of late diagnosis than I had, but I feel like it's so important to share the other side of late diagnosis when you suspect you may be autistic and what happens when an adult autism evaluation goes wrong. So here is my time that I shared with Carrie. This was also posted as a video podcast on YouTube. So head over to YouTube and subscribe to my channel. The link is in the description. And I look forward to sharing my 2020 with all of you. Thank you again for listening. And I hope you all have a fantastic 2020. And now here is my time with Carrie. Today I have Carrie L. Johnson on the podcast and I am so happy she's here because she is going to share a really unique perspective and she is going to be telling us all about herself and Carrie, thank you so much for being here and I was just on your podcast, so that's awesome and then I would like to pick your brain a little bit. So first, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and where you are right now and maybe a little of your backstory too. Whatever you want to share, go ahead. Absolutely. Well, my name is Carrie. I am 30 years old. I have been married for 10 years. Um, Wow. Yeah, long time. I got married as a baby. Um, I have a little girl who is seven. She'll be eight next month and a little girl who just turned four and they are something else. Um, I was a homemaker for most of my marriage. Then my husband and I um, started a small business making custom furniture. So in the last three years, we've been doing that. And I've kind of tagged along there. And um, I do a lot of marketing stuff with him. Um, Previously, before that, I decided that I wanted to be a nurse midwife at the birth of my second child. And I got completely obsessed with it. I hadn't gone to school after high school. I had no college education. I didn't get great grades in high school. And so I didn't think that I had the intelligence to do that, but, um, went to school for three years and maintained a 4.0, got into nursing school, killed nurses, but then went to clinicals. And I was like, Oh, this is not for me at all. I had no idea what nursing was like. And, um, I have so much respect, so much respect for nurses, but, um, the, it just wasn't. I very quickly floundered in clinical settings and mm. uh, didn't exactly know why, but also just realized it. I kind of romanticized what nurse midwifery was in my mind. And um, so I, I mourned that for a season and then stepped into the um, the marketing for our small business. But besides that, I've basically been a stay-at-home mom since I was 22 years old. And uh, that's been that's been my life. Cool. So what do you think that you have to bring to my listeners as far as being not neurotypical? Well, okay. So go ahead, dive right in. Tell us where you are right now. I will. So, um, I had, I was making YouTube videos for, um, about six years and that started, um, maybe seven years ago. 
And I was recovering from binge eating disorder. I had this eating disorder. It started at a very, very young age. Um, Four years old is my first memory of binging. Um, And it was around that season that I started compulsively binging on a regular basis. And so when I was um, around 22 years old, started making videos actually on minimalism and organizing, um, I I touched on this eating disorder and my recovery in it. And um, I was very, very strong in my faith at the time. And I talked about that. And um, as I was finding recovery or looking for recovery rather, because I wasn't finding it. Um, I Many of my YouTube su- subscribers were like, I think you're a highly sensitive person. The way you talk about your um, sensory overstimulation issues, like I think you need to look into Dr. Elaine Aaron's highly sensitive person books and research. And I did, and I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. I'm a highly sensitive person. And so um, I really embraced that. And it helped me understand that so many of my sensitivities didn't need to be shut off. They needed to be tended to, and I needed to better care of myself. And that was really, really freeing for me. Um, and that was kind of the mindset I was in Uh, about four years ago. I actually stepped into recovery. I don't like to say stepped in. I found recovery. I was not binging compulsively anymore. And it also aligned with, um, pretty large faith crisis, uh, that I won't go into now, but I know that my, um, belief systems caused me to feel a lot of the the shame that was perpetuating the, the eating disorder mm-hmm. um, and, and this this like denial that I had needs. I needed to take care of everybody else and you need to let right. everybody else take care of yours, put others. So your yourself. whole world was being shaken up at once, basically. Or was. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so so my life kind of fell apart internally, not necessarily externally, but things started to get better, especially as I was kind of letting go of a lot of these negative belief systems and um, tending to my needs. But stuff was still tough. Um, uh, stuff yeah. was still really tough. The, sh- the, the stress that I experienced my whole life and would um, essentially medicate by binging, I still felt that stress and a very strong disconnection from people that I loved. But I was desperate for it. I wanted that connection. Um, but it, it was hard to get and I didn't know why. Um, so then about three months ago, I want to say, give or take a few weeks maybe, I was watching a Netflix special and it was um, a comedian is Nanette um, by Hannah Gatsby. And she talked a lot about shame and I, I could connect to her shame story of being um, raised in an atmosphere of shame and how children internalize that. And then she realized like she didn't have to hold on to that. And she just kind of became this new person as she was stepping out of that. And I just, I just resonated with her story so much. And she was talking about her struggles socially. And I've had very intense social anxiety my entire life. It's not like something mm-hmm. happened and I had it. I've just always struggled. I would upset people and I didn't know why. And they mm-hmm. tell me I'd upset them, but not explain it to it in a way that I was like, um, I understand. I'll do better. It was just, I would like constantly do these things. Um, but I just thought I was like a bad friend and like didn't, was just Aww. like bad at communicating and bad at making friends. And, uh, and when I would communicate, oh my gosh, am I a meddler? Like I find people's Achilles heel and somehow pull out their like most intimate and private details about their life. And they tell, they like tell me everything as I have this safe space for them, which I'm happy about because I can't have small talk. Like I only stay in the deep end at all times, but then they walk away and they're almost like a deer in the headlights. Like what? She just like emotionally assaulted me. Like I didn't. (laughs) I relate to all of this, by the way, so far, like, oh yeah, definitely, definitely resonates with me. I don't have too many second conversations when it comes to <laughs> <laughs> people tend to me. not always, not always, but it's yeah. just, it's just something has always been a little off is what it is. So then I'm watching this Netflix special. I end up watching this girl's Ted talk. And she said that she had autism and I was like, hold up, wait, like what? No, she doesn't. Like I nannied a boy that had autism when I was younger and she was nothing like him. And he was, he was a really sweet boy. Um, he needed a lot of support and a lot of care. And he, he and I were nothing alike. Like there was nothing even remote. That, that was my picture of autism was, was right. this man. And, um, so I was like, no, there's just, no, that's not, I don't, what? And so I, you know, I researched a little bit and I was like, okay, so I guess she does. And I, and I don't know when it exactly clicked, but I was like, well, do maybe I do like, I'm going to look into this. And 
I was reading a few of her articles and she was talking about her social struggles. And that is where I was like, yes, like everything you're describing socially, like I struggle that way too. People don't, people say things and do things and I'm like left behind in the dust and I just smile and actually kept following along. And it, that, that's just right. like a pattern of my life. And um, so then I ended up looking up the AQ, I think the autism quotient, adult mm-hmm. autism got a 44 out of 50 on that. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I did the, um, what is the RAASD or the the RADS R? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I did that and I got a 202 or 203 and I've actually done it three separate times. You're pretty, for, for lack of better terms, you're pretty high on the list as far as like those testing. Like what do you, what did you score highest in as far as, was it like sensory stuff or social communication issues or both of those are like fairly um the sensory is higher but Mm -hmm. the the social communication is fairly high too I've only looked at those once like it was mainly just the main number I was looking at right no for the like the AQ I I feel like that's more I guess it's not more sensory issues is it it's kind of both it has all the diagnostic stuff in there but you're not really diagnostically, you're never supposed to look at just one test as far, you know, as a, as a whole picture. And, and you definitely cannot look at the RADS R, which is the updated RITVO or the AQ that way. But, um, both of them are like, definitely like encompassing of the whole yeah. diagnostic criteria. So it's, it's on both of them. Yeah. So, so let me I- ask you, I have a quick question. Yes. And you kind of briefly mentioned a highly sensitive person mm-hmm. and my listeners don't know where you are quite yet, but real quick, I want to ask you, um, knowing what you know now, and then the whole highly sensitive person thing, can you kind of explain what that is to anyone who's not familiar? And also how has your, uh, perception of highly sensitive person versus knowing more about autistic traits? How has that changed? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Dr. Elaine Aaron has talked about this a bit, like HSPs versus people with autism. Mm -hmm. And so HSPs, they highly sensitive people process information are aware of information at a grander scale than most people. It's not that they're seeing things that aren't there. It's that their threshold for, uh, sensory input is much, much lower. Mm -hmm. Um, they just sounds sound louder and lights are brighter. And, um, especially when it's something you're not controlling, you just kind of feel assaulted by a lot of sensory information. Um, the difference between HSPs and people with autism is there's no, at least Dr. Elaine Aaron says there's no social, um, lack of a ability to connect socially as an HSP. Whereas, um, on the spectrum, there's more of that lack of ability to connect Mm -hmm. the same way. And that's the biggest differentiation that I've been able to recognize because a highly sensitive person really is, um, it really seems to only really have to do with the sensory input, Mm -hmm. all of the other stuff that the spectrum is involved in. So I'm honestly not too familiar with that either. Like I've heard, I recently kind of heard a little about it and I did like a little bit of research, not going to lie, kind of rolled my eyes with it a little bit. Cause it was after I already like knew a little more about autism and, and traits and, and things like that. Um, do you think that there might be a lot of people out there that think they're just a highly sensitive person that might actually be autistic? I sure do. Yeah. Okay. I've never like, of course, of course. There are Reddit threads or there's like a subreddit and mm-hmm. like HSPs. And I think there might be 15,000 people on it. And there have been a handful of people. So there. this is like a big thing. Like it's like, it's like one of those like internet interests that people really grasp onto. Well, well, Dr. Aaron is a researcher, so it's, okay. I couldn't tell you right now where she's researching. It's not like that. an official diagnosis though, right? She's, she's more just like in research kind of looking into this right now. Yeah. Because okay. I like 10 to 12% of um, all species have these like criteria. And because of that, it wouldn't be because of that high number, it wouldn't be a diagnosis. It's just a variation. Right. So it's, it's mostly like light sound touch, like senses type sensitivities. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Keep going. I just like side note. 
Yeah, it's interesting. On that subreddit, there are a handful of people who are like, oh, as it turns out, I'm actually on the spectrum. And that's- I'm not surprised by that at all. Like what, what you were describing, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, that's autistic. <laughs> a lot a of that. Lot of people, they will I think a lot of autistic people feel like they're highly sensitive. Like I, I might not always know what someone is trying to communicate to me, but I know what they're actually communicating to me. Do you know what I mean? I like, know exactly. I don't know. I don't know all the social cues um, all the time. I definitely like know how to communicate to someone how I'm feeling. I don't know always how to differentiate to myself how I'm feeling, but if I need to communicate, I can do that. Mm -hmm. But I, I feel like I definitely feel like I'm a highly sensitive person because I am picking up on things that people don't pick up on. I know things about people that they don't even know yet, but uh, we find that out later. And, and now, you know, I used to kind of like point that out when I was like young and silly and like annoying. Now I've like, I don't know if it's masking or what, but now I'm just kind of like, they'll get there. Like yeah. I'll tell my husband something. I'll be like, yeah, this is going to happen. But, or, or like, this is going down a bad way. And, and I'm like, but I know in the past you can't mention that even if it's going to happen, people just don't like that. So I'm like, you'll see. And, and I'm always right. Always. But yeah, we, yeah. we vibe like autistic people really do vibe with their surroundings and they know what's going on. They might not know, like if someone's trying to cover it up, we might not pick up on that. Mm -hmm. And if we do, we're just like, oh, what's wrong with that person? They're lying to me. Like, this is horrible. <laughs> but yeah. we know, we, I mean, like, we know what's going on in the room. Yeah, absolutely. I've also had instances where I've pointed it out and learned that that's not a socially appropriate thing. No, they don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't mean, I didn't mean to make anyone. I don't mad. like it either. I mean, yeah. if someone tells me something, I'm like, ew, this person's yeah. so rude. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, continue. Okay. Where was I in this process? So, oh, okay. So I was like, all right, I think, I think that I'm on the spectrum. test. So yeah, the test alone didn't convince you. You had, you felt like you needed to do more research. So yeah, well, I did a lot of research. It wasn't just the two tests. I always have like tons of tabs open. I'm just like looking into what experts say and other people's stories and the, the research okay coming out of, especially, um, you know, the New England area and the UK seem to be where all of the most current and up-to-date research is coming from. And um, I also read that women have a very, adult women who've gone undiagnosed have a very hard time getting diagnosed. And so, okay, the reason I wanted to get diagnosed, I have always kind of been steamrolled over my entire life. And mm -hmm. I kind of always thought it was my fault. And I've always tried to be more assertive and try to have uh, more of a backbone and stand up for myself and not just, um, what's the word, kind of cater to everyone else or think if somebody else has a different opinion that they're right, because I'm certainly not right. Like just, just there are a lot of uh, lack of self-worth issues as well. But um, I, right. for me, I was like, I, if I tell my friends and family or specifically my family that this could be an option, I don't think they'll believe me. Like I think their, their concept of autism is also this young man that we all nannied and I'm nothing right. like him. And I don't know right. if they know anybody else that has autism. And so we're not like the most emotionally intimately connected family. Um, I think that actually two other people in my family might be on the spectrum too. And so there's just been a lot of, mm -hmm hurt and confusion in our family my whole life. And so it's not really something I was eager to announce without a diagnosis. So part mm -hmm. of it for me, part of it was so that I would have a little bit more validation behind what I was saying. Um, but as it turns out, it's hard to get a diagnosis as an adult woman. Um, yes. So are you seeking, you're currently seeking a diagnosis? I, well, I've got, I've sought, I've gone through one evaluation it didn't go how I wanted it to. So yes. I'm really? Mm, yeah. Really? So do you mind talking more about that? Not at all. So I would, I would love, so, so basically you you're thinking you might be autistic and you went to what type of doctor to speak about that? Sorry, sorry. Ask that again. I said that you, you thought you might be autistic and what kind of doctor did you speak to about oh. that? Like once you were kind of like going that route. Yeah. So, well, first I was just looking for a practice that specialized in uh, women, like a woman who had gone undiagnosed because I knew that masking was such a big thing. Like I had mm -hmm. to answer myself, how did I get to 30 years old? If I was on the spectrum 
and right. no one ever once questioned it. Um, and just from that research, I saw that, you know, practitioners that are, are diagnosing need to really understand what that looks like in adult women. Mm-hmm. So when I was calling different practices, I, I asked, like, do you work with adult women who've gone undiagnosed? I know that it's, it, you know, you really have to have an eye for that. And uh, the practice that I ended up going to was like, oh yeah, absolutely. We're, we're the absolute best. Uh, oh, red flag alert, red flag alert. Yeah. So I should have asked like, <laughs> how many adult women they see and what process they, um, they use to diagnose because I ended up going and within five minutes of walking in, um, the woman was explaining to me what autism was and it was not in a, in a positive way. It was basically like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Why are you here? And she wasn't, she wasn't unkind. It was just So do you have any specifics of what she, do you remember? Like, I would love to hear, and I think my listeners would really love to hear like what you were told. So she knew you were there thinking that you might be autistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I mean, from the first conversation on the phone, I was like, I, I so she knew. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what kind of doctor is she? Um, well, well, okay. I wasn't seeing the psychologist. Okay. I was seeing someone without masters. I could look up master. Is it the, the, the social work license, social workers or whatever? Cause I it think is. they can diagnose. Well, she wasn't going to diagnose. She was doing oh, the okay. and then putting together a whole packet. And then I came back a, week, a couple weeks later and the doctor did an interview with me, but she oh. did evaluation was, which was the ADOS. The, okay. With all the toys and the books and um, so weird to me that that's done to adults. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, so, so yeah, so that for anyone that doesn't know that the ADOS was, is, is used for kids. I also just want to throw out there that the ADOS was not done for all three of my kids to diagnose them. I don't know what that means. They were, my girls were diagnosed by the same doctor. My son was diagnosed from a different doctor in a different health network, but neither of them used that. And then, so I'm not familiar with experience. Like I'm kind of know like what it is, but, um, yeah, so I, it's, it's shocking to me. It's made for kids. Uh, I am not someone who should give medical advice, but I don't understand how something made for very young children could be used in adults. And then like, how could they gauge the answers and what that means? Like, it's so bizarre to me, but anyway, Back to you. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, even looking at the academic literature, like there are many um, professionals who are criticizing the ADOS for use in adults because they're saying you're not, you're not catching so many things by using this test in women. So that gave me that gave me some comfort. But she asked me right away if I had friends, and I was like, yeah. And she was like, tell me about your friends. And I told her about my two best friends. Um, Is that I'm- how she asked you? She was just like, do you have friends? Yeah, she was kind. She was kind. I'm being a little like short when I, okay. it, but she was like, okay, tell me about your friends. So I told her, um, and I go into way too much detail. So I just talked and talked and talked. <laughs> right. and she was like, well, people with autism don't have friends. And I was like, like, then she said it just like that. And I was like, okay. And that's she offensive. Like, she said, here's what she's offensive. She said, if, if somebody with autism was to walk into a grocery store and purchase something, um, they would not know a friend from the person who's bagging their groceries. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, and that, like that right there, just kind of, I was like, oh, okay. So that, I kind of set the tone for like what Oh I, my God. Isn't that a little, that, yeah. <laughs> she said a person with autism wouldn't know a friend from someone bagging groceries in a grocery store. Or, or she might've said like, they would think that they're a friend too. Right. Right. Okay. So like they have, so they no, dis- they can't them. discern. Everyone's the same to them. They have no, no need for other people basically is what she's saying. Like, yeah. so, so that was just the, that was just the first thing. Um, but that, at that point I was like, okay, how am I supposed to answer questions? Like, I still wanted to go through all the other things that I was suspecting, but I was like, well, you were there. You're like, let's just do this. But you're already getting that feeling of like doom and gloom in your head. Right. Cause you're vibing and you're realizing like, this is not going well. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was within the first few minutes and I was there for another 30 or 45 minutes. 
And, um, there were a couple of other things, but that was the one that like really jumped out. And I think I jumped on a subreddit and asked people on Reddit if they had friends and they were like, uh, yeah, <laughs> like people had been diagnosed. They're like, yes, I have friends. And so that, that, that was, that's so upsetting. Like and it, it was a it's good shocking. Lesson. Yeah. Yeah. So she did the evaluation and then I went back several weeks later. Um, and I did, we did email back and forth cause I didn't feel like they were hearing me. I didn't feel like they were listening to the symptoms that I was describing Well, the evaluator and the evaluator, very, very kind person. But, um, she, she was just giving me these very short answers and I always like, I'm just so I'm painfully polite and I kind of just like, let it go. I let that fly out the window and just kind of wrote emails saying everything that I felt not to offend her, but to just very honestly explain why I think that I'm on the spectrum and all of the, the way I was as a child and, um, the way I stim and the way, the way I've had a, had an eating disorder for decades. And there's a strong connection, which is very, yeah, it's very commonly comorbid with with men and women on the Mm -hmm. spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. And like stress and anxiety and um, the, you know, hyperstimulation issues. And we did talk about my issues with, um, with having a hard time communicating with people. Like I don't, I feel misunderstood often and I misunderstand often, but they were not only quick to be like, oh, well, well, you probably have social anxiety, but then they were like, well, have you ever looked into schizoid personality disorder or um, schizotypal personality disorder, which I hadn't, um, but it wasn't that was, it started going down a path. I wasn't, I didn't want to go down. Like I was like, right. I want to talk about these things. Like if I do have that, we can get there, but like, let's talk about these things. And so that's really what the la- the remaining three or four weeks of the process was, was them saying, well, you need to look at this schizotypal or schizoid um, description. Did and you look into that? I did. Oh, absolutely. Cause if that was it, was better, it bizarre? Like, did yes. you? Yeah. <laughs> I I haven't like looked that up. So I didn't know, like, are there like what kind of traits they would be? I guess it's just relating to the social communication stuff or what, what the heck? And I just feel like, like, why would they even just throw stuff out there? I don't know. That just seems like bad medical practice to me anyway. Like not... So and it wasn't a doctor. She was not a doctor. She was not the person who should have been like presenting. Right, which is even more bizarre. Like here, have you thought about some like mood disorder or, or personality disorder that, you know, that it, like who, who is just like, have you looked at this? Have you, I don't know. That's bizarre. I know. And I've a, I have a therapist and she, when I told her, she was like, stop. Like, I know you're going to just like start researching it. (laughs) She was like, you don't, if you had that, I would know by now, don't worry about that. And it was, it was bad. Like it hurt. And yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, so what is, does your therapist kind of agree with you? Like, have, have you talked to your therapist about this? Yeah. My therapist can't diagnose, especially when we do therapy through, but she, she has said multiple times, like, I can absolutely see why you think you're on the spectrum. And she, that's good. She has a hard time with um, the process of diagnosing because, you know, just from studying it, their misdiagnoses can hurt people. And Mm -hmm. I think how sensitive I am. Um, she has never discouraged diagnosing, but when that process was happening, she did reel me in a few times and she was like, everything is okay. You're going to be okay. You don't, I really don't suspect that you have these personality disorders. I'm so happy that you had your therapist because a lot of, a lot of late diagnosed people are, this is their first person they're going to, and they're not typically in therapy. Some are like, some are referred from therapists and things like that. But a lot of the time they're just like, find this out on a whim, like from their kids getting diagnosed or, you know, just like you, like watching something and you're like, Oh my God, that resonated with me. And they just go talk to a doctor and they don't have a therapist and you know, it, it can be really damaging. And I've seen a lot of men and women, um, just like you can tell their whole life is falling apart because, they finally found something that made sense. And then they're told like just crazy stuff, like, like what you were told and they don't have someone to kind of talk some sense into it. And then they're like, am I crazy? Like what's wrong with me? You know, it's, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. I never thought I was before, but like this process, I was like, maybe I don't know how to perceive reality. <laughs> like maybe this was a terrible mistake, but I know that I do. Right. Cause you, I'm, I'm assuming you internalized a lot of that. And then also I would, I, haven't 
I've kind of been through it. Like I told, I, I told you before, not today, but I told you that, um, I had mentioned to doctors before, like, I felt like it was more than just ADHD and there's kind of like, no, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. So I've been like kind of there, but I've never been through what you have gone through. And I think it's really good that my listeners kind of hear like what happens when you go talk to someone and it doesn't go great. Yeah. I think it's like good that, that we talk about that because it happens a lot to late diagnosed people. Yeah, um, and, and I, I want you to talk more about it, but just to kind of sum it up, it, to me, it kind of seems like, let me know if I'm wrong. It seems like you walked in and you looked okay. You looked like a, a pretty neurotypical, normal functioning woman of around your age. And the first impression was that you're fine. And, and they, she was just going to look for anything to let, let you know that you're okay. And it's not that. Like, it yeah. seems like she was working like to convince you, you're fine. You're fine. Like what's, what's wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Is there that how you felt? It was, I did tell her, I was like, I don't think there's anything wrong with me. Like I said that at the beginning, like, I think this right. is how I am, how my brain operates, but I've thought that it was a problem this whole time. In the last three months, I'm like, Oh, this, this isn't a problem for any, this isn't a problem for me. It's maybe been problematic for other people, but it's right. Not- it's not a bad thing. I'm not broken. I just want you to tell me if you also see these things that I'm describing. Right. So you did the ADOS mm-hmm. with her, not with a doctor. Yeah, with her. With her. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what happened when you went back and saw the doctor or did you? Yeah, I did. Um, I ended up going back several weeks later and she, the doctor had a very good conversation with me. She didn't, I didn't feel like she was shutting me down or telling me, oh no, I like, she wasn't, as dismissive or invalidating as I felt the first evaluator was. Um, but at the same time, she also wasn't really interested in talking any further. She pulled out the DSM at one point to talk about um, a few of the different personality disorders. And I was, I was like, why are we looking at those and not autism second disorder? Because that's where I hang out in the research. Like, let's go over those criteria and talk about mm-hmm. them. That's what I came here to start with. And, um, but they just like kept wanting to almost pass. So you, she didn't go over the DSM with you for autism spectrum disorder. Not, no, not at all. Didn't even mm-hmm. open. Um, I'm a, I'm very much a minimalist. Um, I, I could see where they would see maybe obsessive compulsive personality disorder might be, might have some of the symptoms, but they never brought that up. Um, and one of the, one of the criteria for one of those personality disorders is hoarding. And they both were like, yeah, I bet you have a ton of stuff at home. And I was like, you don't know me at all. Like I have the tidiest home you've probably ever seen. And they, but they, I didn't say that. I was like, no, I don't hoard like at all. I'm, I'm very, very tidy, but they were like, oh, and then at one point, this might be too much. It's so weird. At one point I said that I was asexual because I'm fairly certain I am. Um, I was also raised in a very, very Christian denomination. So I'm not sure if it's like sex shame or asexuality, but they were like convinced that that meant that I didn't want to connect with human beings. Like, I think that's why they went to the personality disorder that like, I just didn't like people. And I, I, um, didn't, I didn't genuinely want to, because I said that my sexual relationships aren't. That's concerning to me too, because so many, so many people, you know, are that I think there was a recent poll done and like over 50% of autistic people were somewhere as far as like LGBTQ plus, like all of that, like over 50%. It's very, very like commonly. Yeah. I, I, I'll have to find it. Maybe I can link it, um, to this video, but it doesn't surprise me. I think it was over 50% of of people on the spectrum that, at, that were in the poll, it was like really high. So, and the general population is like, you know, eight to 10% max. It's probably lower than that 5%. So that's a huge, it's, it's, you know, the fact that you said that and they're not even aware of that for the yeah. spectrum is just kind of shocking. So I did ask if they were familiar with any of the research that was coming out of the UK or the New England area. And they said they weren't like they, which I appreciated. Like they, they I'm shocked. Just kidding. (laughs) I'm shocked that they're not up to date on the information. 
I thought they would have been like, yes, we know. But um, the doctor was like, no, honestly, I haven't, I haven't looked at it at all. She did say she went to some sort of convention once and there was a presenter who she would have sworn up and down was not on the spectrum, but was. And so she was very surprised, but didn't look any further into that. And then she described her and I was like, you're describing me, but. Oh my God. So did you like cry for two weeks after that? I feel like I would have like really broken down and been upset. Um, in between that, from the first evaluation appointment to the second one, there was lots and lots of crying and breaking down there, but oh, the second, I'm sorry. I, I was it's ridiculous. I was, I was much more, I was much less naive of what I was going into. So I, uh, I almost didn't go, but I, I spent money on it. Like I'm paying. Yeah. Fees. And so I was like, I can't not. And, and I, what I haven't mentioned is I think my oldest daughter is on the spectrum. And so Part of this is like, if it was just me, maybe I'd be fine. But like, this is for her too. And so mm-hmm. not really sure if I should like try to get her diagnosed first. And then maybe I'll get more, um, you know, more understanding that way. Because It's possible. No one took me seriously as far as there might be something else until my son. Um, the second that people hear that, well, it's genetic. It's not a hundred percent proven to be genetic yet, but there's no other end. Obviously it's, you know, runs along family lines. It's very rare to be autistic and not have anyone else anywhere, you know, in the line. Um, but what, I mean, I think that, and a diagnosis is going to benefit your daughter for sure, either way. So I I would definitely say go for it. Um, but I think, you know, yeah, it's it's either either way, it's going to be not as easy for you, mm-hmm. and either way, it's going to definitely benefit her. But it might not be as easy for her either. Yeah, I mean, no one ever when I was a kid, nobody ever thought there's something like I have learning issues, but they were never bad enough that people were like, we need to go get her checked out for something. In fact, my dad um, thought that ADHD was told ADHD was made up, and that doctors just went medically. I dealt with a lot of that stigma growing up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so where are you now? Um, as far as just like, are you continuing to seek a diagnosis or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I called, um, the, the hospital where you had gotten diagnosed that program. Um, Okay last week and they didn't have openings until I think early March, but, um, okay. and, and it's, it's more expensive than the one here was, but that makes me happy. Like, I feel like they probably are going to do a whole battery of tests versus here. They did the eight. No, no, they're eight. not. No, they're not. It's all okay. conversational. Okay. Um, I don't know what he, his name is Dr. Brodkin. He's fabulous. Um, I would, I would hate to him not to diagnose you and me say that, but with me, he was extremely understanding. I felt like I could open up to him. Um, he was very realistic. Um, but also I, he didn't say a lot of his understanding. You could just tell that he understood autistic traits. Like there was no, um, he's very, he's like, I could just tell. Yeah. Um, he thanked me for my like 20 page list that I brought of things that I wanted to talk about. And he was like, at the end, he was like, thank you for bringing that. It was really helpful. And I was just like, oh my God, he's so nice. Like, this is like, I feel like so many doctors that I would have seen in the past would be like, oh my God, here's this crazy person with 20 pages written down. And he was like, thank you. That was really helpful. Um, I even almost suspected like maybe he might be on the spectrum. I don't know, but he, I definitely felt like he got it. Um, and we had like just a five hour conversation. Basically, he gave me a couple things to fill out before I went in. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was really conversational. He asked me about different times in development. Um, you know, what did my childhood look like? What did my teen year, what were your parents involved in your evaluation? No. Um, my father has passed away. My mom, um, he had a form for her to fill out and that was it. Um, they did recommend to me that, that parents, obviously living parents like come in and discuss as well, or I could have brought my husband, but I didn't want anyone to be there. And I thought a lot about it. Um, my husband totally would have come if I, if I wanted him to, but they also had a form for my husband to fill out. And 
that it was like the same thing. It was like a family report and then a self report. And it was like the same thing. And I can't remember which one it was, but it was, it was pretty much just like the AQ. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was like a, like a family version. And it was funny because we did it separately and our answers were very similar. So Mm -hmm. like that kind of made me feel good. And the doctor even commented on it. He was like, except a couple of my husband's answers were even worse than mine on the, like, on the spectrum. Yeah. So, um, he was like, that's kind of funny. He's like, so normally I get like the opposite, like the yeah. symptoms are like the husband is like, eh, you know, the, she's fine or whatever. Yeah. Um, but he was very understanding. He didn't like act like it was weird that I didn't want my family involved, but I told him, I was like, I felt like I, I felt like I wanted to just come here and speak my truth. And I don't know if like my mom's picture would be accurate to mine. So I didn't want anyone clouding that up. And like, even my husband, like he's a very like practical and and real person. And I just felt like here, fill this out and my doctor can look at it, but this is going to be me. Like, we're going to have this discussion. If I don't get the diagnosis, I don't want it to be because of something my mom said. Yeah, I wanted it to be like, this is me and my doctor talking and that's it. And he could make his decision. Um, and as for, and, and honestly, like when we were discussing everything, um, he even kind of said like the childhood stuff where it stood, like what we talked about and like from my mom's report, um, didn't quite meet the diagnostic criteria, but he said, you know, like looking at the rest of my life and the, specifically the struggles I had going into adulthood was definitely enough to diagnose me. So uh, there's a lot of doctors that won't give you a diagnosis if you don't have that, like those indicators as like a toddler, even mm-hmm. if you're like clearly struggling on the spectrum as an adult. Um, but he got that too. So yeah. um, like to think that like I almost didn't get a diagnosis is, is scary enough. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's he was very understanding, but we had, we were adults. He treated me like an adult. Mm-hmm. He didn't treat me like someone who thinks I'm crazy he didn't, you know, we, we had a formal discussion and it was like five hours with like two different breaks. Um, you know, we discussed the, the scales that were used and he didn't treat me like I was low intelligence. Like he was just very respectful. Um, and we just talked like two adults and we, and then at the end he was like, I, I think you meet the criteria for this. And that was it. Like, it was just like, and I think to think that like you went and played with like toys, (laughs) like, do you know what I mean? Like that it's, it blows my mind just because I, I was lucky enough to have such like a a good evaluation as my first one. Mm -hmm. And it really is just luck. But I think people need to be aware that it, it can go really wrong and it's, and it doesn't mean that you're crazy, you know? Yeah. And I commend you for, going again and, and trying again, you know, you, you are looking for validation and there's nothing wrong with that. And I, and I felt the same way. Um, some people are okay with self-diagnosis and that's okay. I'm just not one of those people. Like I, I don't know if it's anxiety thing, but like I needed to know that I wasn't crazy. (laughs) I was like, I needed that like confirmation. And I felt like I would never be able to like, just be out about it. Like, you know, until I had it and I, and I got it. Um, and I got it speaking my truth and talking to the doctor, like in a real way. And I had never really done that before with a doctor. And that's another thing. Like if you go through the same doctor, whatever, like you have to like unmask and like, just give it to them, you know, not saying that you didn't do that before, but like to all my listeners, I was on my best behavior and that was a mistake. Like you did. Okay. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting to know because I I hear about uh, almost everyone I've talked to personally, they, when they tell me and this maybe is me to me, I don't know. But when I hear someone say like, oh, I've, I just went and I didn't get my diagnosis. Like, what do I do now? And I do get that question a lot. And I, the first thing I ask them is like, you know, did you like, how were you in the interview? Like, or I call it not an interview evaluation. Like, did you, do you feel like you were like just really real in yourself or whatever? And they say the same thing. I was on my best behavior. And it makes sense now on this side. I'm like, why wasn't I just like being, I'm, it's just when you mask for so long, like that's right. You don't even, yeah. 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 I totally get it. With the first evaluation, I was on my best behavior. The second one, I was like, screw this. Well, you you Yeah. You were already like, I already paid for this bullshit. (laughs) You're like this. Yeah. 
that one, I was far less like, I don't, I close my eyes half the time because I've like recently realized I can't focus if my eyes are open and I'm staring at you and trying to have a conversation. And so I did that. And when I like, I would get, I'd get really, not really upset, but a little bit upset. I'd start to feel panicky. And I like would just stimulate my hands the way I normally do when I'm stressed. And I didn't try to hide any of that. And not so she would see it, but I was like, this is dumb. I'm not going to be on my best right. if you're not right me anyway. So, well, but, is there anything else that you want to kind of share with the listeners? Um, I know that you're kind of like in the midst of of your whole thing. And I would love to have you back, um, after your next evaluation and see how it goes. But is there anything that you want to share with any listeners that might be in the same position as you are? I would say, um, one of the things that I had thought about getting a diagnosis was that it was just for me. Like I just needed it for self-validation and a woman, um, that I met on Reddit again, um, had gone through something like 10 years of trying to get a diagnosis um, because she had a few other comorbid uh, things going on. And it was a matter of her survival. She needed more support. And she was like, she sent me a message and she was so kind, but she was like, I know that that it feels like this is just for you, but your role in getting a diagnosis affects so many people. Like it affects your family and it affects, it affects the community that you live in and affects the kind of funding that people get. And she was like, don't feel like you need to in you need to make it more convenient for everybody else. Like it's okay that you need more and I don't want you to feel bad for that. So a diagnosis very likely is going to affect more than just you. And that really fueled me. I was so like, true. It's great uh, advice. Yeah, yeah, it was. And so that was I've gotten a lot of flack in the in the community. Um, not a lot, but some about the fact that I have gone on another YouTube channel and and said that if you can, you should seek a diagnosis. And that's, I'm not saying that I, I've heard people have told me to check my privilege and all of that. And I get that it's hard for some people to get a diagnosis. Um, for one, it's very expensive for most people, or you have to wait years or all of that. And I see that. And I totally respect that. I still think the goal should be ultimately to seek a diagnosis. That doesn't mean today or tomorrow, it means maybe saving up for that. And the reason for that is if you are someone that has less typical autistic traits, being officially diagnosed directly affects the next generation because you are improving the, the amount of people with the more atypical symptoms or traits, I should say, um, you are, you are widening the gap for, for the younger kids that are like my kids age and then the kids that come the next generation after them um, and getting officially diagnosed puts you on the map and the more people that do that the more understood we're going to be going forward um, and and while the medical model needs a lot of improvement um, the way you improve that is being seen within the medical model mm -hmm. and I hate that people like your experience go and they're seen and um, they're like, you're fine. Like, why are you here? And then here, look at this, look at this. Like, I hate that people go through that, but I also, I think it's amazing that you're continuing and, and going again and spending even more money. And I hate that too, but, um, I really respect it. I respect you for that. And you'll have to come back and, and share more. Oh, I will. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Anytime. Take care. Wow. Really deep, guys. I am so happy that you stuck through to the end and really heard her experience. And can you believe how positive she is? She's just pressing on. And I just think that is so amazing. And I don't even know how I would be. I mean, it was a fear of mine that I was going to have a similar experience that she had because like I've said a million times, I did tons of research and I saw it all over the place. Tons of especially women sharing and mother sharing that they went for evaluations and they just went so wrong, completely invalidated, almost made a mockery of, as you heard here, and just pushing forward. 
I find that to be so brave and strong and I really think it's a true example of the autistic spirit because we are people as a collective where if we feel something it is so real and it is so deep inside of us and we cannot stop until we get confirmation or whatever it is that we need and her spirit is such an autistic spirit and it's beautiful and i think the spirit that we have inside most of us is something that people should not take for granted just how powerful we can be and it makes me excited for the future of being a part of neurodiversity and autism acceptance because I really, truly, truly deeply feel that the future of autism can only go up from here. I really don't see it getting too much worse than it is now or has been in the past. So it's a really exciting time to be at the center of neurodiversity and autism acceptance. And I hope you will join me in my soon-to-come community that I am currently working on. I briefly shared in my last episode that there is a new community coming and already being beta tested uh, where it's free. And autistic adults, ADHD adults, or both, or dyspraxia, DCD, um, any type of learning disability, Tourette's, any type of neurotype, neurodivergence, you are welcome in this group and it is a group that is centered around connecting sharing growth and positivity together and it's somewhere off of social media so you have full control of what you see what you don't see it's a much healthier i believe option and i think it's something that we really need it's definitely something that i need and so far from my beta testers, the feedback has been really good. So I'm excited to bring that to you soon. In January sometime, 2020, I will be releasing it and I will definitely share more info with you. And once again, I hope all of you have an amazing 2020. And here is to only going up from here. Thank you for listening. And I can't wait to have Carrie back to discuss how her next evaluation goes. So thank you for listening. Happy New Year.